Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. James chapter number 5 and verses 13 through 20. I believe it's a quite exciting time to be part of the Liberty Baptist Church and to see all that the Lord has done in our lives and the salvation of souls and be able to baptize and to be able to disciple and to see God do some sweet things in our midst and then to see the Lord really just kind of remodel uh, throughout the property here with the youth room being used tonight and of course the boardwalk and the courtyard and now the stage and all that man truly God is at work here and if we're not careful we think that this is just normal but God has his hand on this place and I'm just so thankful to see all that God is doing in our midst. Uh, James chapter number 5 verses 13 through 20. The Bible says in verse 13, is any among you afflicted? Uh, let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the earth gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. And this is the word of God tonight. I'd like to speak to you simply on this portion of scripture in regards to effectual prayer, effectual prayer. Father, for a few moments tonight, we thank you for the privilege it is to be back at your house. And thank you, Lord, for being so gracious. And uh, Father, even uh, in the middle of a rainy season to hear uh, my brother having an accident and how you spared his life and how you have helped him. I'm thankful for that. Please help him to heal. And Lord, you've been so good to us. I ask that you would please, please tonight speak through your word. And the uh, Lord, I, I offer my lips and my, my, my mouth, Lord, to speak exactly which you would have me to speak tonight. Lord, I don't have an agenda. I don't have something that I want to say, get off my chest. I simply want to be your voice tonight. God, please speak through me. And we will be careful and cautious, Lord, really to give you all the glory and all the praise, God, because without you, we can do nothing. 
And so, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to speak on effectual prayer. Please help me. Uh, thank you for Jesus, my best friend and Savior, and I ask you these things in his name. Amen. Uh, oftentimes, when we read James 5.16, uh, it's one of those verses that we like to interpret in our own minds, and we bring baggage to that text. We treat James 5.16 like we do Philippians 4.13. You know, five, uh, James 5.16 is one of those coffee mug verses. You know, you'll see it on the coffee mug. And this is an interesting portion of Scripture. And uh, one of the most encouraging, in my opinion, sections of the book of James. Uh, it is one that has been somewhat of a battleground for theologians and interpreters. You know, one can say one thing about this passage, and another can say another thing about this passage. It is a passage that the Roman Catholics use to support what they call the doctrine or the sacrament of extreme unction. It is a passage which many would-be healers and advocates of modern-day healing use to promote the idea that we have a guaranteed healing if we pray under the proper circumstances. It is a passage that is used for putting oil on sick people. Some would say that according to this passage, all we need to do is call it out and name it and claim it as our own. That is sadly a misguided perspective of this passage. This cannot be saying that every physical sickness will be healed. Otherwise, that would suggest that we would never die. This would be contrary to the passage, that classic passage of Paul, when Paul prayed in 2 Corinthians 12 and verses 8 and 9, he said, For this thing, that thorn in the flesh, I sought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And God answered Paul's prayer. He said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ would rest upon me. Please understand tonight that it is not always God's intention to heal. I'm going to say that again. It is not always God's intention to heal, but it is always God's intention to help. <laughs> you see, <laughs> it's not always his intention to heal, but Brother Steve, he is always ready to help. Jesus said, don't use vain repetition. He warned them about this in Matthew 6 when he says, when you pray, don't do it as the hypocrites do, because they stand at the synagogues praying for everybody to hear them. I'm paraphrasing. He says, but when you pray, enter into your closet, and your father that sees you and hears you in secret will reward you openly. May God deliver us from perfunctory, from mediocre, from apathetic, and from common prayer. You see, God wants to have our heart. Jeremiah tells us that when we seek God with all of our heart, then we will find him. And I say this tonight, no heart, no hearing. No heart, no hearing. The psalmist said, hear my cry, O God, untend unto my prayer. From the ends of the earth, Brother Isaac, he said, will I cry unto thee. He said, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. 
It is not a wonder that David would cry out in the Psalms and said, he is my buckler. He is my shield. The Lord is a son and he is a shield. He said, no good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. He said, search me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way that is everlasting. You see, God knows our down sitting and God knows our uprising. I like what Thomas Brooks said in his classic book, The Secret Key to Heaven. Here's what he wrote. God looks not at the elegancy of your prayers to see how neat they are, nor yet at the geometry of your prayers to see how long they are, nor yet at the arithmetic of your prayers to see how many they are, nor at the music of your prayers, nor yet at the sweetness of your voice, nor yet at the logic of your prayers, but please listen, but at the sincerity of your prayers to see how hardy they are. Let's take a closer look at what James is saying tonight. And I have three C's that I've, I've, I've jotted down here and I'm gonna give you the first one. First of all, would you please notice the custom of prayer? The custom of prayer. James 5.13, if you look there with me, please. The Bible says, is any among you afflicted? That word afflicted simply means suffering. Is any among you afflicted or suffering? And here's what James tells us to do if we're afflicted. He says, let him pray. And then he says, is any merry? This is odd, right? Because he says, if you're suffering, uh, you should pray. And then he says, if you're happy, then you should sing psalms. In other words, the source of our praying and the source of our praising is God. So he says, if you're suffering, you should be praying to God. But if you're happy and if life is all good, then the same source should receive your praying and should receive your praising. Of course, everyone here knows the scriptures. And in Acts 16, we find the same custom, and it was of Paul and Silas. The Bible says, and at midnight, they were doing what? They were praying and praising the name of the Lord. In these short five verses, prayer, the word prayer is mentioned seven times. Even when we take a look in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see the custom to pray. In Mark 1.35, the Bible says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there he prayed. After feeding of the 5,000, the Bible says in Mark 6.46, And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. Before choosing the 12 disciples in Luke 6, 12, it says, and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray, and there he prayed all night to the Father. Before Peter's confession, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, in Luke 9, 18, the Bible says, and it came to pass after he was alone praying. Before the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke 9, 28, the Bible says, and it came to pass after, uh, after eight days of these sayings that he took Peter, James, and John and went up into the mountain to pray. In regards to teaching his disciples to pray, in uh, Luke 11, 1, the Bible says, and it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And of course, before the crucifixion, last time I preached, he was in the garden of Gethsemane praying, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. You see, James' whole point here in this portion of scripture is that prayer is effective. You see, in 13, he says, if anybody is suffering, 
If anybody is sick, if anybody's in sin, the same procedure should happen, and that procedure should be prayer. You see, God loves to hear his people pray. James is saying that uh, in every circumstance in our life, whether we are in sorrow or in happiness, whether we are winning or whether we're losing, in sunshine or in rain, if there's money in our bank account or if we are flat broke tonight, if you have friends or if you're lonely, if you're sick or if you're healthy, it doesn't matter regardless the circumstances, we should be known as a people of prayer. Not a wonder that he said in Thessalonians, Paul told the church in Thessalonica, pray without ceasing. That means we ought to always be in the practice of prayer. We pray as ordinary people who have an extraordinary God. Can I say this tonight? Prayer at your house is as important as praying in God's house. And sometimes in our minds we think, well, I'm gonna get to church on Sunday morning, Sister Renee, and we think Sunday night and on Wednesday night, and that's where I'm going to do my praying. Oh, no, my brothers and sisters, we ought to be praying on a Monday morning before we head out to work. And we ought to be praying all throughout the day, thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be praying late on a Tuesday night. After you get over with all your shows and all that and get ready to get into your bed, you ought to say, thank you, Lord, for the day. And you ought to say, Lord, prepare me for what's ahead tomorrow. And on Wednesday, when you get ready to be with your wife and kids or your husband and your kids, you got a doctor's appointment, you should practice prayer. I like what mama taught me years ago. She used to get inside the car and she would say, Nombre de Dios Todopoderoso. You know what she was doing? She was acknowledging the presence of God. Basically, she would say the name of Jesus Christ, all-powerful name. And mama taught me how to pray. But I'm just saying tonight, we ought not think that we just come to church so we can pray here. And certainly God hears our prayers collectively. But I'm saying prayer at your house is just as important as praying in God's house. Not only the custom of prayer, but would you notice the call of prayer? Look at verse 14. The Bible says, is any sick among you? So he asked the question, is anybody suffering? And then he says, verse 14, is anybody sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Simply saying, if the Lord has stricken the Christian with sickness to get a hold of his attention, God will pardon him because of those sins. Verse 16, confess your faults one to another. You got to watch who you confess your faults to. <laughs> he said, pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth or can do much. Please notice that word sick tonight. The word sick there certainly can mean physical sickness in the English definition. But it is also a word who I see because of the context here I'm going to show you. I think it's a word that can also mean weary and weak, unable to continue and without strength. The word weakness there. In James 5:11, he says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And so he says, endure, hang on. And we get the feeling of the epistle with those words. He says, this is the time that they're enduring persecution. And he says, I want you to be patient. 
Be strong without complaint, taking your share of suffering for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, if you're suffering, you should pray. But then he says, if you're sick, then if you're weary, if you're unable to continue and you hit rock bottom, it's hard for you to pray. And I don't know if you've been there or not, but we can certainly understand this when it comes to being physically sick. I would say I was sick a couple of weeks ago, and uh, man, I was just in the bed, and when you would get up, experience extreme lightheadedness, Brother Isaac and Brother Jeremy, and, and my, I would get a, a lightheaded, and then I felt weak, and, 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 and I couldn't get up and walk, but I'm thankful that I can call somebody, and here's what the word call right there means. It means to literally call to oneself and to come alongside of. So he says, listen, if you're sick, if you're unable to get up, if you're unable to walk, if you don't have strength, now of course, he's speaking here in terms of uh, uh, physical terms, but let's just break it down spiritually. If somebody is spiritually unable to pray because they've, so they're, 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 they've committed sin and, and maybe they strayed away from the faith and, and somebody just needs somebody to come alongside and help them, the Bible says you should call who? Call for the elders of the church. You say, why should you call for the elders of the church? Well, supposedly, the pastors of the church should be one of the most spiritual people in the church. That doesn't mean that, you know, it's awkward speaking up here as a pastor, right? It doesn't mean we're more spiritual and anybody can walk with God and have a closer walk with God. And I know plenty of members who walk closely with the Lord Jesus Christ. But the principle is the same. Tonight, if you're weak spiritually... And if you cannot pray, then what, what should you do? Call on somebody who's spiritually strong to come alongside of you. I love the way that the Bible describes this in one of the Gospels. In Mark chapter number 2, and in verses 1 through 5, you know this story. But in Mark chapter number 2, in verse number 1, the Bible says, And again, he, meaning Jesus, entered into Capernaum after some days. And it was noised that Jesus, that he was in the house. Now, this is beautiful because anywhere that Jesus went, people knew about it. And I'm telling you, church family, if Christ and if God shows up here at this church, we're going to know about it. Praise the Lord. Amen. And so it was noised that he was in Capernaum. Jesus was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together in it so much that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. So basically, Jesus Christ is in Capernaum in a certain house, and the Bible says he's teaching the word. And praise the Lord for that, he's teaching the word. And the Bible says that there's no more room to get in through the door, okay? And so all the seats are sold out, okay? All the tickets are sold out. There is no more room to get into the house. Look at verse number three, if you're there, just listen. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And so here's a man who hears the noise or the publication or the tidings that Jesus is in Capernaum. And he says, here's my chance to be healed of my palsy. I don't know if he's ever walked before, but I know at this curtain stage, he, he has no idea what it's like to walk and he's weak. 
And so the Bible says that now he's born of four. He calls a four of his compadres, four of his best friends, four of his homeboys. And he says, I need you guys to help me. You get on that side, you get on this leg, you get on this leg, and you get on this leg. And I want you guys to carry me to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I heard that he touched the blinded eyes and made them see. Because I heard that, uh, you know, he can raise the dead. And, and I heard that this man speaks with great authority and I need somebody to help me. Now check it out. You know what happens in verse four. And when they could not come nigh or near unto the press, they couldn't go through the door. You know what they did? They uncovered the roof. They uncovered the roof, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now that's what it means, my brothers and sisters, to call for somebody who is stronger than you, and it requires humility. You see, the responsibility is on the weaker Christian to call out to a stronger Christian and say, quite frankly, I'm struggling in this area. I don't want to continue. I'm having trouble reading the Bible. We're having marital problems. I'm having trouble with my children. I have a little bit of mental anxiety. I got some physical uh, needs and ailments, and I need somebody to get on this side and 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 I need you to carry me to the person that can help me. That's what it means to call somebody to help you. And I'm so thankful tonight that God has given me personal friends that I can call in a time of need and say, quite frankly, I am sick spiritually. I am sick physically. I don't have any strength to continue. And I've questioned the presence of God. I've questioned my call to the ministry. I've questioned if God wants me to even continue going on for the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm thankful that in those moments, those friends have upheld me in a moment of weakness, and they took me to Jesus, and prayer is the hammer that breaks up those impossible barriers of life situations that when we need somebody to pray, we said it's not going to stop us, even if the house is full, even if it seems like everything's going on, and the Word of God is being preached, and I'm telling you, they were willing to break open the roof and the impossibility even of climbing up there and lowering the man down in the bed was an impossible scene. But thank God tonight that there is nothing impossible for God. <laughs> nothing impossible. Paul told the church, the church is in Galatia. Chapter 6 and verse 1, he says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a what? In the fault. Didn't he say in James, confess your faults one to another? If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are what? Ye which are what? Spiritual. Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be what? Tempted. In other words, we consider the situation and the individual and we say, Lord, Listen, today it's them, but tomorrow it could be me. Today it's you, but tomorrow it could be me. There is no one exempt from being spiritually weak. And I'm telling you, it's the pride that's in us that doesn't like to admit that we need help. I've been there before. And here these men go. They bring him to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
May I say this? Often we do not pray the prayer of faith out of concern of God's reputation if there be no healing. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying tonight. The preacher got up and he said, man, God no longer heals. No, that's not what I'm saying. God can heal. God has healed and God will continue to heal. But this is not a broad brush verse that guarantees that God will always heal. And I like what he said here. We should remember that God is big enough to handle his own reputation. Amen. Notice lastly tonight, the confidence in prayer. The confidence in prayer. Now he takes us to a, um, an example of a Bible character. Look at verse 17, please. James 5, 17. He says, Elias... Elijah, <laughs> James is funny because he, he doesn't mention how Elijah stood before Ahab and called down fire from heaven. Now, he doesn't say that. In fact, James goes the opposite route. He's like, I, listen, listen, don't, don't be impressed by Elias. That's kind of my, my understanding of this verse when I read here. It's kind of like, what? He, he said, don't, don't be impressed by Elias. He said, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Verse 18, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death. Obviously not eternal death, because he's a believer, but maybe premature physical death, or losing the influence for Christ, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Would you notice Elijah's passions there? The, the, the writer is letting us know that Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. In other words, he was just like us. He was just like us, Brother Josue. Now, we can look at the different Bible characters, Brother Lee, and we think, man, Daniel, wow, you know? Daniel was a man of prayer, man. He's a man of God. In fact, you won't find any dirt on Daniel in the Bible, and that's crazy, right? You say, I definitely can't be like Daniel. I know, man. I get scared when I look at a YouTube video of lions. I can't imagine being in the middle of a lion's den. I mean, come on now. Daniel in the lion's den. So I can never be like Daniel. You see, you think David, David's a man after God's own heart. Certainly he had some failures and some mishaps there. You look at Moses, and you think, man, the great liberator of God's people there in Egypt. How, did, how much did God use Moses? Mary and Esther and Ruth. And we look at these Bible characters, and you know, sometimes... We elevate them. Sometimes we look at their lives and certainly they're worthy of emulating. But Brother Jay, we have to understand that all of these people in the Bible, they were just like you and they were just like me. All of them. And he takes one of the most prominent characters and he says, Elijah, he was just like you. In fact, if you read Kings, 1 Kings 19, he wanted to kill himself. He was in major depression. He was just like you, and he was just like me. He got discouraged. He doubted. He lacked faith. The point is not that we should be righteous as at, at an extraordinary level of Elijah. No, that's not the point here. 
but that he was normal like you and me. And James doesn't say for us to be like Elijah for our answers to be, for our prayers to be answered, but that Elijah was just like us and his prayers were answered. And so therefore we should pray. He doesn't say try to live such a righteous life that God will answer your prayer. No, what he's saying is Elijah was just like you. He doubted and uh, man, he, he got thirsty and he got hungry and, and he was depressed and, and uh, man, he was crazy just like you and just like me. And, he, and God didn't answer his prayers because, of, because he lived a righteous life. No, God answered his prayers. Why? Because God answers prayers. Yes, God answers prayers. Notice Elijah's persistence. Look at verse 18a. Watch that. He says, the Bible says, and he prayed again. Do me a favor and go to 1 Kings. We still got 14 minutes. Go to 1 Kings chapter number 18, verses 42 to 43. Watch this in in God's word. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 42 and 43. Confidence in prayer. Elijah is just like you, man. All right, 1 Kings 18, verse 42, the Bible says, So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. Now remember what happened in 1 Kings 18. This is 450 false prophets, and and the fire came down and burned it up. And afterwards, the Bible says, Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down. Verse 42, he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. He cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. Verse 43, and said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. There's nothing. And then here's what he said. This is interesting. He said, and he said, go again how many times? Seven times. Now, the Bible doesn't say that Elijah prayed seven times. I don't want to read into this story. But I just could imagine that Elijah says, um, is, do you see the rain? Uh, nothing yet. I could imagine that when he said nothing yet, just in my imagination, I'm not giving you Bible tonight, I'm just speculating. I could imagine that Elijah bent down and he put his face between his knees again and he began to pray. His servant comes back and he says, is there anything else? Nothing yet. And I could imagine, Brother Brian, that he puts his face between his knees and begins to pray again. And he did that seven different times. You see, Elijah, my opinion, was persistent in prayer. Sometimes, my brothers and sisters, God wants us to use a little bit of importunity and be able to go to him constantly and daily at every moment of every day. He wants to train this discipline that we pray about everything. We cannot afford to put our Christian lives on cruise control because I'm telling you, God has a way of allowing us to run out of gas and pull over and be still then know that he is God. And so Elijah puts his face between his knees and he's falling down there and he's praying to God and he's praying to God and he's obeying the word of the Lord because God said that it was going to rain again. And so we know that Elijah is praying according to God's will, not against God's will. He's not throwing up some crazy wishful things and 
you know, you have not because you ask not. And if you ask and you don't have it, you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. And so when we pray, we got to pray according to the will of God. Pray things like, Lord, I ask that all men would be saved. Amen. Because that's part of God's will. Pray that God would build the church. Amen. Because Jesus said he would build the church. Pray that God would continue to sanctify you. Amen. He said, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Pray that God would make you a, 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 a just a, a witness for him. Amen. Because that's God's, God's will. Pray that God would allow us to raise our children in the, nur and, and the nourishment and, and admonition of the Lord. Amen. Because that is God's will. And so when we pray according to God's will and according to God's way, I'm telling you, my brother, that God will always, my opinion, answer that prayer. And Elijah's down and he's praying and he's praying. You don't think it was he was tiresome? You don't think he was weary? You don't think he was like, man, there's nothing yet. I'm going to pray again. Is there anything? No. Well, I'm going to pray again. Is there anything? No. Well, I'm going to pray again and again and again and again. Sometimes we're so close and we stop praying. I'm going to give you a secular illustration. Has anybody here ever heard of the temptations? Raise your hand. I know you're in church. You don't want to keep it 100. That's all right. One of the classics. I know you want to leave me, but I refuse to let you go. If I have to beg and plead for your sympathy, I don't mind because you mean that much to me. Ain't too proud to beg. Sweet Jesus. You say, is that biblical? Absolutely. Absolutely. In Genesis 32, it tells me a little something about that. And so the Bible says that Jacob was left alone. Went out to a place to pray. The Bible says the angel of the Lord met him there. And they began to wrestle with the angel of the Lord, God. He began to wrestle and, and wrestle and wrestle and Sun was beginning to come up. God touched him on the hollow of his thigh and he would walk with a limp. Let me go. He said, nah, I can't let you go until you bless me. I can't let you go until you bless me. And God asked him one question. You know what God asked him? Listen, listen to this. You know what God asked Jacob? One question. He said, what was the preacher? He said, what? is your name. Whew. Was that the first time he heard that question? Nope. What is your name? What's your name? You see, you can lie to your daddy, but you can't lie to me, Jacob. God wants sincerity. Jacob, deceiver, usurper, that's who I am, God. And it pleased the Lord so much that he says, yeah, I'm glad you told me who you were, Jacob. Because that's a rhetorical question, you know that, because I already know who you are. I just wanted you to confess. I just wanted you to admit. I wanted you to agree with me that you're a deceiver but because you are sincere, you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to change your name. 
I'm going to change your name. You won't be known as Jacob. You'll be known as Israel. Why? Why would he be known as Israel? You know why? Because as a prince, thou hast prevailed against God and you have power with man and with God. You say, where is the power? I'll tell you where the power is at. The power was in the urge and in the urgency and in the effectual and in the persistence and in the courage and in the rustling to say, God, I'm rustling with you. I need something from you. And God, when you asked me something, I answered you sincerely and I said, my name is Jacob and I'm not going to let you go. Let me go. I'm not going to let you go. Bless me. And that's what we need tonight, church. We need Christians who will go to the prayer closet and bow on bended knee or fall out and lay out and stay there until God meets with you and say, I'm not leaving this place. I'm going to turn my cell phone off. I'm going to turn all the, all the electronic off. I'm going to lay out here. I'm going to designate some time and say, God, I'm not leaving until you bless me, God, until you meet with me. That is effectual praying, my brother and sister. Until you meet with me, God. But we live in the microwave age, don't we? You know what the microwave age is? We want everything easy. 30-second prayer, we expect God to answer in 30 seconds. Well, I prayed about it, did you? Well, I prayed about it, did you? And by the way, can I throw out a pet peeve? Sometimes in, as Christians, we... We get these cliches and nothing necessarily wrong with it, but please listen. Sometimes we hear about somebody going through a sickness or going through a family trial or whatever the case may be. And as soon as we see that, prayer, that person, you know what we say to them? Hey, praying for you. And we think that we say praying for you is going to make them feel better. Can I help us tonight? Don't tell somebody you're praying for them unless you're praying for them. <laughs> hey, praying for you. No, you're not praying for me. <laughs> Don't tell somebody you're praying for them if you're not praying for them. And God has given that ministry to the pastors. He said that in, in the book of Acts, he said, but we shall give ourselves continually to the ministry of the word and to prayer. And that's why, pastors, we have the, 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 the responsibility and the privilege of having God's people call us and to jot down on our prayer list and say, I'm going to pray for this girl. Why? Because she's 20 years old and her boyfriend left her and she's expecting six months along and she feels lonely and she feels betrayed and she comes to the house of God asking God, Lord, would you please allow me to be healed and to be accepted at the church and not let the pastor see me and put his nose down at me in condemnation? Oh, no. But that God would bring people here and they would find a place of confidence and a place that we can say we're going to pray for you every day of the week and we're going to love you back to Jesus. Oh my brothers and sisters how great is the need to partner in prayer one for another. Yes it's a great need. Notice God's power. Look at verse 18. I got three minutes and I'm done. Look at verse 18. The Bible says that the latter part of verse 18, and the heaven gave what, church? It gave rain. Do you see that? The heaven gave rain, James 5, 18. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her what? Her fruit. You see, this is interesting. It's very obvious. 
but Elijah can't make it rain. Elijah can't make it rain. We say that sometimes we'll be bawling out there, like, oh, he's making it rain. All right, that means he's dropping buckets, right? He's unstoppable. But I'm telling you, Elijah could not make it rain. But Elijah knew somebody who could make it rain. And that's the power of the Christian. You see, our confidence in prayer is not in our prayers. Our confidence in prayer is not that we're praying. Our confidence in prayer is not in the offering, but the confidence that I have in prayer is the receiving, that I know that God is listening to me. It is not because I'm praying. It is because he is receiving my prayer. And the Bible says it rain, praise the Lord. Now that word energeo, that means energetic prayer, enthusiastic prayer. He prayed earnestly. You know what that means? He prayed in prayer. When you go to prayer, do you pray? I don't know if it's happened to you. You go to prayer, then you receive a notification, then you're like 10 minutes on a notification. That's happened. I don't know if it happened, you go to prayer and then you fall asleep. You go to prayer and then you get bogged down with so much worry. You go to prayer and then your mind starts going all over the place. You know why those things happen? Because we're just like Elijah. It happens to Elijah, <laughs> yes. And my brothers tonight, we got to take the challenge to saying, man, I'm not some super spiritual Christian. No, 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 no. If God answered the prayer of a thief on a cross, and if God answered the prayer of a woman who was caught in adultery, and if God answered the prayer of all these people in the Bible who are just like you and me, what makes us think that he will not answer our prayers? Oh, but God cannot answer a prayer that's never been prayed. I end with this. Isn't it interesting that on the same mountain where God rained down fire, on the same mountain God rained down water? Isn't that interesting? It was on that mount that God rained down fire and he also rained down water. You see, when we pray, we enter into a heavenly realm for battle and for blessing. We literally unlock the door of heaven. We say, Lord, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Let's take the battle to the air. Let's pray fervently. and We'll see God do some miraculous things. Effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Hell can do a lot. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.